What's up, Beardos? Andy here, coming at you with a little bit of bonus content. And what this is, is a live recording of a panel that I was a part of last weekend at VegFest Colorado. The topic of the panel is food and body shaming within the vegan community. And so we sort of talk about what is it? How to identify it? What are the consequences that it has for the activists in the community, the animals we're advocating on behalf of, and the people that we're trying to reach with our activism? Now, the first voice that you're going to be hearing is Ginny Messina. Ginny goes by the Vegan RD and has put in a ton of work into looking at what does the research, what does the science actually say about vegan nutrition? What can we actually promise someone that wants to engage in a plant-based diet? And Ginny has put that knowledge to work in so many different publications, but most recently she has a book coming out called Protest Kitchen, which she co-authored with friend of the show Carol Adams. And I am up after Ginny. I'll be talking a lot about my own personal experiences with fat shaming in the vegan community. And then our final panelist is the always amazing JL Fields. JL is a cooking instructor and a cookbook author. The most recent book that she has put out is called The Vegan Air Fryer. And as a side note, if you're not in on that air fryer game yet, you got to get on top of it because it is truly a game changer. And you know I don't say that term lightly. And JL actually also hosts her own radio show, which is called Easy Vegan with JL Fields. And yes, I say radio show because it's a show that is actually on the radio, though it can be found in podcast form. And JL has had a ton of really interesting guests from all across the vegan spectrum. Yours truly was actually on this show episode 107 if you want to check it out and we talk about a lot of the issues that we talk about on this panel and fun fact it's because the organizers of VegFest Colorado heard that interview that they they understood what it was we were trying to do why there was a need for this type of message to be given a platform at a VegFest so truly grateful to the organizers for for reaching out to us and asking us very proactively to do this panel and I have to say I think that we got a really good response from the crowd it seems like a lot of people are are hungry for this type of message this type of perspective to be represented at a veg fest because in all my years of traveling you know the last six years or so doing as many veg fest as possible I can't really think of too many veg fests that have given a platform for this message and so many people came up to us afterwards expressing their gratitude for the panel and also just telling us their own stories their own experiences with food and body shaming in the vegan community and it's it's really heartwarming it was really heartbreaking as well and i just am so grateful that we were given this platform and we're definitely hoping to bring this panel to more veg fests around the country in the future in fact august 18th jl and i will be having our own two-person panel at the triangle veg fest in raleigh north carolina so hope to see some people there if there's any other organizers out there hit us up because we would love to continue to bring this message nationwide and with that said hope that you beardos enjoy this recording it is of course just a live cell phone recording so not the not the pristine audio quality that you're used to but i still think it's pretty dang good hope you get a lot out of it and with all of that said let's get right to this panel The last time I was here was five years ago and I had the world's worst case of laryngitis. It was actually sort of a nightmare to have to come here. 
but everybody turned out to be so nice and so sympathetic that it was actually one of the better veg fests I ever spoke at, even though I couldn't really talk. So it's great to be back here. And I'm going to start our discussion by looking at how we talk about vegan diets and health and how that impacts our efforts to build a more compassionate and effective vegan community. So I'm gonna focus on these issues of body shaming, food shaming, and disease shaming. And then after I finish, JL and Andy are gonna talk a little bit, share some, some personal perspectives on these issues as well, and talk about some strategies for dealing with them. So I'm gonna lay the groundwork for that and look at a little bit of the science as well. Most of what we know about vegan diets and health comes from two large ongoing studies. These are the Adventist Health Study 2 in North America and the Epic Oxford Study in the United Kingdom. These are two big studies that look at health outcomes of people eating all different kinds of diets. And they happen to have very large numbers of vegans among their subjects. So we've gotten lots of good information about vegan health from these studies. And kind of in a nutshell, this is what we've learned from these studies about the health of vegans. We've learned that vegans have, on average, lower BMIs, lower body mass index, lower body weights. Vegans are less likely to have type 2 diabetes, less likely to have hypertension, and less likely to develop certain cancers. So that's all really good news for vegan nutrition and for vegans. But I do want to caution that we need to be a little bit careful about how we talk about this, because it doesn't mean that every single vegan reaps these particular health outcomes. Yes, it's true that vegans have, on average, lower BMIs than the rest of the population. It is not true that the pounds just melt away when you go vegan, or at least it's not true for a whole lot of people. It's true that vegans may have a lower risk for certain types of cancer, but that doesn't mean that vegans never get cancer. We know that very well. We've seen some much-loved um, vegan activists in our community who have, got, who have gotten uh, serious cancers. It doesn't mean that a vegan diet can reverse cancer or treat cancer. There's no evidence for that. It's true that diets that are low in saturated fat, packed with good things like fiber and healthy plant fats are associated with a lower risk for heart disease. There's real strong evidence for this, but it doesn't mean that vegans never get heart disease. So we need to be a little bit careful about how we talk about these issues and how we talk about vegan diets and health. And we wanna be careful not to be going around saying that a vegan diet is a cure-all, that it will make you bulletproof against disease, it'll make you disease-proof. We wanna use language that is a little bit more, a little bit more honest and, and based on the science. And that is to say that eating a healthy vegan diet will lower your risk for getting chronic disease and increase the odds that you'll stay healthy. Well, why do we want to talk about vegan diets in such more dramatic kinds of, kinds of language? There are several reasons for this. One is that believing that a vegan diet puts this shield of protection around us gives us a sense of control over our health, which feels very good. And it even gives us a sense of control over the, um, the uncomfortable reality that we're going to eventually die, that we really did eat all of that kale for nothing. But that's true of everybody. That's true of everybody who's eating a healthy diet or what they perceive to be a healthy diet. For vegans, there's something else at stake, and that's that we want to save animals. 
And so we know that most people want to look and feel good. Most people don't want to get chronic diseases. A lot of people are trying to lose weight. So we figure if we can promise them, people who, who want to lose weight, who want to feel good, who don't want to get chronic diseases, if we can promise them that a vegan diet will do this for them, then it's, much, it's more likely that they'll go vegan, that they'll stop eating animal foods, and then animals are the ones who, who benefit in the long run. So that's a noble reason for wanting to talk about, use a little bit more hype around vegan diets and health. But there are some consequences to promoting a vegan diet as a guarantee of health and weight loss. We set veganism up to fail when we make promises about it that we can't keep. If somebody goes vegan and they don't lose the weight they wanted to lose or expected to lose or their diabetes doesn't go away or they actually get a chronic disease after they've gone vegan, then the very thing we promised them about a vegan diet has turned out to be untrue. And losing faith in the things that people expect to get from veganism is one reason that they return to eating meat and abandon a vegan lifestyle. There's another consequence for us, and, and that is that um, when we have this vegan sense of invincibility, we may kind of ignore other aspects of our health. We may get a little bit lackadaisical about getting appropriate health screenings, the kind of screenings that can detect diseases in their early stages when they're easiest to treat. We may avoid medical treatments, standard medical treatments for serious diseases. And you know, sometimes it's fine to do that. Sometimes a healthy vegan diet is all you need to reverse a disease or to treat a disease. Sometimes a vegan diet is the only medicine that you need. But that's not always true. And we need to realize that and make sure that we're making good decisions based on the best information. We may even ignore other aspects of a healthy lifestyle, like getting adequate sleep and stress management, if we're putting too much emphasis on our diet, because they're all important. Diet, exercise, stress management, rest, all of it's important. Believing that a vegan diet is, is uh, a panacea or a guarantee that people will not get sick is at the root of disease shaming, body shaming, and food shaming in our culture. Disease shaming occurs when we suggest that we know exactly how to prevent an illness, and therefore any illness is a personal failure. It's the result of poor choices. So it always involves blame and judgment. When vegans get sick with a chronic disease, if they feel shame about it, and they often do, they may be afraid to share their diagnosis with other people, and the sad thing is that they may be afraid to ask for the emotional support that they need because they are afraid of being judged. They may be afraid to share that they're using conventional treatments or taking conventional medications. And again, there are lots of instances where vegans or people can get off medications by adopting a healthy vegan diet or never have to take medications, but it's not always true. And these kinds of memes end up shaming people who do have to take medication for physical, mental health problems, all kinds of, of chronic diseases. A close cousin of disease shaming is body shaming. This is judging and blaming people about their body size, judging and blaming them for any illness that they have and attributing those illnesses strictly to their body size. Now, it is true that excess weight can raise risk for some chronic diseases. There's good evidence for that. But it is not true that you can tell whether someone is healthy or not simply by looking at the size of their body. It is not true that people who have a higher BMI who end up being sick actually caused their own disease. This idea that there is some specific vegan diet that is guaranteed to produce permanent weight loss for everybody is a very simplistic approach to a really complex problem. And so it ends up being a form of body shaming. 
So is making fun of the bodies of non-vegetarians and, uh, and non-vegans for the size of, of their body. This sometimes masquerades as humor or as, uh, sometimes as, as activism, as animal activism. And, and many of you have probably seen this cartoon, which is very popular on the vegan internet. And, you know, at first blush, it's kind of funny, and our first impulse is to laugh when we see it, but, it, you know, you only need to look at it just a little bit closely to see that this is overt body shaming. Making fun of the bodies of non-vegetarians, or non-vegetarians and non-vegans, ends up being hurtful to vegans. This is what one of my blog readers told me when we were having a, an online discussion about this. He said, it's difficult to connect with animal advocates who rely on the narratives of health and weight loss to get people interested in the vegan message. Some of these advocates are openly hostile to meat eaters who are overweight. That hostility may not be specifically directed my way, but it is still deeply felt by overweight vegans like myself. We know from the medical literature, we know very well that body shaming and weight stigma contribute to depression, anxiety, and social isolation. And we know also that these factors contribute to an increased risk for chronic disease, for diseases like heart disease and even cancer. So body shaming and weight stigma are really assaults on a person's mental health and also on their physical health. Now body shaming is not just about body size, it also, um, uh, impacts, it, it also involves overall appearance. There are a lot of things in plant foods that can be good for skin health. For example, um, antioxidants in fruits and vegetables are great for skin and can slow down the aging process. And the same thing is true of isoflavones in soy foods. So eating lots of these foods in a healthy vegan diet can slow the aging process down a little bit. It will not, however, cause you to age like a supermodel. This is, Chris, this is Christy Brinkley, she's 61 in this picture, and um, she looks great, and according to the vegan internet, she credits her um, vegan diet for her youthful looks. Well, I find this a little bit curious and a little bit hard to believe because I'm about the same age as Christy, and I've been a vegan eating a healthy vegan diet for nearly 30 years. I do not expect, fortunately, I do not expect to age like Christy Brinkley. Because I know, while I know that her healthy diet and her healthy lifestyle have done a lot to protect her looks, I think that they're probably not quite as important as the set of genes she was born with and the fact that she has access to all kinds of expensive resources to protect her appearance. This is overt body shaming with a nice dose of sexism and ageism thrown into the mix. At the core of both body shaming and disease shaming is food shaming. When we know a vegan who has a chronic disease, it kind of challenges what we want to believe about vegan diets. And so we decide that they must have been eating too many added fats, they must have been eating too many cupcakes, too many processed foods, they weren't doing veganism right. That's why they got sick. This leads to a somewhat restricted view of what, vegan diet, of what a healthy vegan diet should look like and what vegan food is all about. And you know, I really don't know why anybody would want to um, impart or contribute to this idea that vegan diets are restrictive because most people, most non-vegans, already think that our diets are restrictive. <laughs> this is what non-vegans think we eat. They think we eat some combination of granola grass and tofu. Well, 
We've all been at the Colorado Veg Fest, so we know that vegan diets are much more exciting, much more diverse, much more interesting than that. Now, that diversity in our vegan diets can translate to some uh, choices that are not particularly helpful for us. And it is a problem if somebody is eating Oreos and potato chips, both of which are vegan, if somebody is eating these foods all day long. We can all agree on that. But what I also see is this idea that if vegans are eating any processed foods, any added fats, if they are not um, eating strictly non-GMO organic foods, they're playing havoc with their health. And it's created this sort of false dichotomy whereby you're either a whole foods plant-based vegan or you're a junk food vegan. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that because some gently processed foods have been at the heart of some of the healthiest traditional eating patterns in the world. There is no evidence that vegans who eat these foods are any less healthy than vegans who avoid them completely. And in fact, some of these foods have health benefits. This is true of high fat, vegan foods, which sometimes get a bad rap in some vegan circles. You know, we have this idea that the only diet that's been shown to reverse plaque in arteries, reverse heart disease, is a low-fat vegan diet, when in fact we know from the science, when we look at the science, that plant-based diets can reverse plaque formation in the arteries, whether they are low in fat or high in fat. And we have good evidence with the Mediterranean diet, for example, and plaque reversal. Even vegetable oils have a place in heart-healthy vegan diets. The old data showed that eating vegetable oils could damage the lining of the arteries, damage the endothelial linings. That was true only with single meals that were excessively high in fat. When we look at more modern research, we see that including moderate amounts of oils in, with plant foods, with, whole plant, with a diet based on whole plant foods, is, is not associated with heart disease, and in some cases, some of these oils are even protective to the health of the artery. So when we have this long list of rules about which vegan foods we can eat and which ones we have to avoid, and they become very rigid, it can really cause um, uh, people to, be, to become very fearful around their food choices, very anxious around their food choices, and it can even lead to symptoms of uh, eating disorders. I also hear far too often from vegans who are, um, who say that they don't feel well on their vegan diet and they're thinking about adding animal foods back to their meals. And when they ask me to look at their diet, it almost always turns out that they are eating some very restrictive form of a vegan diet. They don't need to start eating eggs and cheese and chicken and meat. They need to start eating more sources of fat and, and protein coming from plants. They just need to expand their variety of plant foods and then they can stay vegan when they do that. Disease shaming, food shaming, and body shaming all contribute to a very restricted view of who is allowed to speak for animals. When we try to sell veganism as a weight loss diet or a guarantee against chronic disease, it ends up making vegans who have these chronic diseases or, or who haven't lost weight, they end up feeling alienated from the movement. One of my blog readers who really wants to be involved in animal activism told me this. She said, I feel like an outcast due to my weight and medical conditions. I feel that there's such a push to show that veganism is so healthy and that all vegans are slim, that there's no room for me. 
But research from the field of psychology tells us very clearly that people are more open to messages when they come from others who they perceive as being like them. So that tells us, that speaks to the need for diversity in our vegan community, our animal activist community. And that diversity has to go beyond skin color and ethnicity, has to go beyond gender identification and sexual orientation. It also has to include people with different body sizes and people who have different experiences with health. Now, none of this is to say that we shouldn't celebrate all of the good things about a vegan diet. Adopting a healthy vegan diet or a healthy plant-based diet is likely to make you feel better now and decrease your chances of getting a chronic disease in the long run. But when people go vegan and they do get a chronic disease or they don't lose weight, it doesn't mean that vegan diets don't work. Vegan diets always work. Veganism will always bring your, your habits in line with your sense of justice and fairness and will always make your diet more compassionate. And that is something about veganism that we can guarantee. Thank you very much. Thank you for that, Ginny. And also, Jay, I'm looking forward to what you have to say next. It's an honor for me to be included with two people that I admire so very much up here. And also, thank you to VegFest Colorado, because as has been pointed out before this started, this is not something that happens at a VegFest very often. Um, what we're talking about, it's not sexy. It's not the kind of thing that gets people on board with veganism all the time. So it, people kind of like hide it away. So um, props to VegFest Colorado for having us. I am Andy Tabar, and so Ginny has laid down such a great framework for us to be working off of. Uh, so I'm just going to be talking about my fat vegan body and what it's like to have a fat vegan body within this movement. I've had this body for 34 years, as many of those years as I can remember, it's been a fat body. And the last 11 years, it has been a vegan body as well. So when I tell people that, that I've been vegan for this long, I get what I just started to call the look. I'm sure a lot of people in this room have received that look, but you know it, even when people try to do it subtly, it's when they look you up and down and they scan your body and they're trying to assess and they're trying to do, in my case at least, some mental math and they're thinking, this is not the body of the guy that's been vegan for 11 years, at least from what I've been told within this movement. And uh, I run a vegan clothing line, so I am at a different veg fest almost every weekend of the year, which means that I'm putting this body in front of a thousand to thirty thousand people almost every weekend so I get this look a lot and the time that stands out to me the most was about two years ago I was at this event guys buying a couple of shirts I'm swiping his card and he asks me if I'm vegan this is a question that I get a lot when I'm doing these events and I've asked my slim friends who come to help me out do you get asked this question and they'll say occasionally, every now and then, but I get asked this question multiple times as if people can't believe that here I am running my vegan clothing company, handing out flyers for my vegan podcast. So this guy asked me that question, he said, are you vegan? And I always respond the same way, which is of course, because I think for two reasons. One, all things being equal, of course I think everyone should be vegan, and also I want to normalize the fact that this is what a vegan body can look like. It's not what every vegan body is going to look like but there are folks that look like me in this movement. So he asked me, are you vegan? I say, of course. He comes back with, how long have you been vegan for? And I tell him, at that point, about nine years. And his immediate response to me is, so why are you not at your ideal body weight? 
yeah, right? Sitting that, soak up how awkward that feels, how it just sort of, right? And in that moment, time kind of slows down. You're like, how do I respond to this question? Ideal body weight, that's such a loaded term. But what this guy was asking me when he was asking that question was essentially asking me to justify my, my existence in this movement. He's asking me to explain my body to him. Because he has this worldview that going vegan means the pounds are gonna melt off and you're gonna get rid of all your cancer and diabetes, all the stuff that Ginny was talking about, right? And he needed some reason to hold on to that, to say, I need to be able to keep promoting veganism as this way for these pounds to fall off. And I'm not sure what kind of response he was hoping to get from me. I had met this guy like a minute prior and asking someone why they're not at their ideal body weight. It's a really awkward time to do that when they're line buying shirts, but I try to think of what did he want to hear? Maybe he wanted to hear, oh, actually I used to be 500 pounds and I'm on my journey right now. I'm getting there because then that puts me in the category of the good fatty, right? Which is the fat person that doesn't want to be fat and I'm working on losing that fat because it's acceptable to be fat as long as you don't want to be fat, right? As long as you haven't found peace with your body, it's okay. Maybe he wanted me to explain a lifetime of disordered eating as if that's the kind of thing that you have a conversation with a stranger you met 30 seconds ago. <laughs> or maybe he thought I was just like, he got me, this is all a front, I'm not actually vegan, I've been sneaking that vegan food, the non-vegan food on the side. You know, whatever it is that he wanted, he wanted me to justify how I dare call myself vegan and have this body, how I dare have a vegan, vegan clothing line and take up space at these events. And so I view that as a symptom of the fat shaming and the fat phobia within this movement for a lot of the reasons that Ginny was pointing out. Uh, if that is your first time hearing those terms, fat phobia, fat shaming, right, of course they're pretty self-explanatory, but Fat shaming, it's about making someone feel ashamed of who they are. Making someone feel embarrassed and ashamed of the physical body that they inhabit. And I think everyone in this room, fat or not, has probably felt shame about something in their lives at some point or another. It's never a good feeling. And just from that, hey, treat others how you want to be treated principle, we should realize that's not something we want to make other people feel. But I think we have this movement that has sort of been hijacked by people that see that, yes, there can be a lot of health benefits from eating fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and beans, legumes, all those things. And they think they can use that as a shortcut to animal liberation, that they can play on the existing fear of being fat in our society. And I say that because I know it sounds like hyperbolic, this fear of being fat, but there was this poll conducted and over half the people that responded said they'd rather be dead than fat. I've had that said to my face before. I was helping someone find shirts. She tried a medium, she tried a large. They didn't fit, I offered her the extra large and she said to her friend, I'd rather kill myself than wear an extra large. And here I am wearing a 2X. So we have this movement that's been hijacked by this because sometimes it's altruistic, right? They, they wanna help animals, they think people are afraid of being unhealthy, of being fat, and we can tell them, hey, we have this magic bullet, this cure-all that's gonna help you. And what that results in is this movement that is very fat-phobic and very unwelcoming to people that don't fit a certain body size. So it's, it's emblematic in things like our most popular vegan advocacy groups putting out billboards with photos of fat people that say, save the whales, or photos of fat people's thighs that say, these are your thighs on cheese. 
It's emblematic in our leaders for this movement, telling people, if you want to be a good advocate, you must have one specific body type. You must be slim, you must be athletic. These are leaders of our movement reaching young and impressionable people that are coming in and want to do good for the animals, and they're being told, you must look one way or else you're a bad advocate. If you dare go out in public with your fat, disgusting body and tell people that you're vegan, you're just going to turn people off. You're actually hurting animals if you go out there with this body. And you can be a part of the movement, but maybe you should learn to code a website, or maybe you should learn to do some graphic design or something behind the scenes, right? And think about how many amazing activists we lose because that attitude is presented to people that are just coming on board. And it's emblematic in the fact that we have documentaries in this movement that feature weight loss surgeons. So let that sink in. That's someone whose livelihood depends on people being unhappy with their bodies to the point where they'll pay someone to suck fat out of it. Documentaries featuring weight loss surgeons saying that this, this movement for us to be comfortable with our bodies has us comfortable with being sick, which is, of course, entirely untrue. But this is the type of movement that we're in, and it's, of course, very hostile and unwelcoming to a lot of folks, myself included. So when I bring this stuff up, there's usually two types of responses that I get, and the first one is someone that's just saying, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm just trying to spread the good word. I'm trying to let people know how unhealthy it is to be fat, and that I found the way forward. I know the way to eat that will make you not fat anymore. And the first thing I'll say about that is, newsflash, there's not a single fat person on this planet that hasn't been told that they're unhealthy or undesirable or lazy or unethical pretty much every day of their lives. It's a message that's in all media that we consume. Sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle. So the next time anyone thinks about posting stuff like that, like rest assured the job has been done. We've received the message loud and clear, not adding anything new or novel to the conversation. But as Ginny pointed out, shaming does not work. On my podcast, we did an episode where we explored whether guilt was an effective motivator for making social change. And that led us to explore the differences between guilt and shame. And guilt is when you feel bad about a thing that you've done. And shame is when you feel bad about who you are as a person. And through all the, the psychological research, everything we were looking at, we found out that in fact, shame is not a good motivator. In fact, it drives people further into the behaviors that they are made to feel shameful about. So if you think that, that, that it's helping to bring these things up and point them out to people that have already received that message, it's actually doing the exact opposite of those things. And of course, it lends itself to, again, making all these activists that want to join this movement that are here feeling like they can't fully be an activist because they can't be on the front lines, they can't participate because they're ashamed of it. And I have people come up to my booth all the time, people that look like me, and say, I love that design. Oh my god, I love that design, that's amazing. I would wear that, but I don't want people to know that I'm vegan because of the body that I have. I don't want people to associate this body with veganism. And I think it's so important, as Jane was pointing out, to have diverse representation. I used to travel the country. I did this for about two years on and off, doing pay-per-view activism. We paid people a dollar to watch a four-minute video about the treatment of animals on farms. Afterwards, we talked to them about going vegan. And I talked to so many people that look like me that said, oh, 
you're vegan? Like, I didn't realize people like you that look like you were vegan. And I've been kind of interested in this and I wanted to give it a shot, but I thought it was only for skinny white women that do yoga and drink great smoothies every morning. <laughs> and no shade at those people, right? Because again, all things being equal, I think everyone should be vegan. We need everyone. We need the skinny white women talking to the skinny white women, but we need the fat guys talking to fat people as well. And if we hide those people, think about the huge portion of the population that we're shutting ourselves off to because the whole world doesn't look one way or even wants to look one specific way, no matter what people tell you. Not everyone wants to be a bodybuilder or a triathlete or whatever it might be. And I'm so glad we have amazing vegan bodybuilders and triathletes out there because they're so crucial, but we need everyone on board. And so the other response that I get when I bring this stuff up is people just say, life's unfair, grow a thick skin, People are mean, get over it, get out there and help the animals. People say, it shouldn't matter if vegans are mean to other people because veganism is a just and righteous cause. So people need to do it regardless. And I agree with that. I agree that if it's the right thing to do, you do the right thing regardless of how mean people are. But why do we want to put obstacles in our path? Why do we want to have a conversation with someone where they're just like, but wait, my body is not right and I'm not eating the right thing. Wouldn't we rather be talking about how many animals we can save? Wouldn't we rather have the right conversation instead of driving people away? And I have, I have plain thick skin. I've been dealing with this for a very, very long time. But when that guy asked me why I was not at my ideal body weight, the response that I did give to him was, I am at my ideal body weight. And it just came right out, thank you. And it's not because I don't have bad body image days or I'm above all of this. I'm certainly not. I'm still in the thick of it like most people. But it wasn't until I started to accept this body before I became a confident activist and could put myself out there. You know, my, I've yo-yo dieted up and down, 100 pounds up and down over the years. And it wasn't until I stopped doing that and stopped looking at the scale that I truly felt at peace with myself. And I think that as a movement, we should be working to get everyone to that point. Because I think that we all deserve to be comfortable in our own skin, and the animals are in a state of emergency, and they need every single body working for them, regardless of how we look. Thank you. few years. How many of you noticed that I look different? I wasn't even going to bring it up. Um, thank you. I didn't lose weight because I wanted to. I didn't lose weight because I did Whole Foods plant-based. I lost weight because people are really and last year on Amazon, I got a book review that said, don't buy her book, The Chef is Fat. And so, The Chef is Fat. So, um, I lost weight. And I'm saying that because I know a lot of people here are hearing this, and it probably sounds like we're super empowered. You know, embrace yourself wherever sites you are, and I'm letting you know I am right wherever you are right now. Just because I'm here, and you're sitting in that chair, doesn't make us any different. Um, 
And so with that, now I'll go ahead and say what I want to say. But I feel like transparency is important. <clears throat> Three years ago, I was speaking at a VegFest in Southern California. And I was going to get up and talk about how easy it is to eat vegan plant-based food. And the person speaking before me hopped up on the stage and during his remarks, took his shirt off to show everybody his awesome abs. And he kept his shirt off for the rest of the talk. So then it was my turn. And I hopped up there and I said, hi, my name's JL. Meet my belly, she's vegan too. Um, now that might sound all empowering and everything, but really I was mortified that I had to get up after this person. I was embarrassed about my body. I'd already been told for years that people thought I had a great message but probably wasn't right for VegFests because I didn't look like most of the other people who were talking at VegFests. So I'm at a VegFest and now getting up behind somebody that proved to me exactly the point that they had been making. So I made a joke about it and then I went into ahead and talked about how awesome vegan food is because hello, it is. Um, okay, so that happened. And then cut to just about a year and a half ago, I was doing a, a photo shoot with a, a dear colleague and realized halfway through the photo shoot that the photographer had been instructed to take photos of our faces only. And it was then that I realized that even among the people that I trust and that I work with and that I believe are telling really positive vegan messages, um, and they can love me personally and feel like I'm doing good things in the world, also are ashamed of my body. This is the world that we're living in, and we're talking about a vegan world right now, and trust me, this happens in all kinds of movements, but we're here today to talk about what's happening in our movement as most of us are trying to make a just world for animals, to make a just world for people, and to have an impact on the environment. It was then that I realized how important this talk was, and I'll tell you how this talk happened actually was in a Facebook discussion one day among some of us who go to VegFest, and I told that story about um, the abs, um, which I still don't have, by the way. <laughs> um, and, um, and we decided to do this discussion, so this is our second one, and I just wanted you to kind of have the background on this, because um, the, those of you who, I've been here six years in a row, you guys have been coming for eight years, a lot of you go to a lot of VegFest, and most of the time we're hearing from people who look a certain way, and we leave happy with all the nachos we ate, and also feel like we're horrible people for all the nachos we ate, right? Um, so that's why that discussion here is important. How many people here have ever felt bad about their body size? Anyone here ever feel hesitant to tell people that you're vegan or plant-based because you don't look the way you were told you were supposed to look? Has your food ever been called junk food? Have you ever been referred to as a junk food vegan? Okay, so some of us can, um, can relate to some of this. I can certainly answer yes to all of these things. I have been t working with clients for six years. I, do, I coach new vegans, I teach cooking classes. And the most heartbreaking thing I hear after almost every cooking class is someone who will come up to me to say, I never tell people I'm vegan because I think it'll make veganism look bad. And that breaks my heart because I know that person is going home and is not cooking animal flesh, is not wearing shoes with leather, and is using cruelty-free products, and she is saving lives, and she's tortured herself by how people treat her. I've lived a life of up and down weight, up and down fitness, 
I've been vegetarian for 16 years, I've been vegan for eight years, and I keep on living that up and down lifestyle because that's the lifestyle that I'm on. The vegan diet didn't change anything except how I interact with animals and the planet and with other people. I think that the online community emboldens shaming, particularly when leaders in the movement have communities and groups and pages that actually encourages that behavior. And often the very people that are shaming that are being shamed, participate in those groups and also shame. Jenny and I and Andy talked about the outcome, the experience we have and what we can expect from veganism. And now I really wanna talk about what we might be able to do, I'm, I'm sorry, with, with fat shaming and body shaming, about what we can do to stop it, to really look at some strategies. And these are just food for thought. I think we need to stop confusing pregans. I like pregans, they're almost vegan, right? They're free, vegan. Um, stop confusing pregans and new vegans. Vegan equals not eating animals or anything that came from them. It's not using them by using them for work or testing on them. It's not wearing their skins and their fibers. Not using them in your lotion or your makeup. So when we're explaining how to follow a vegan diet, it's about the food that they can eat, not a list of vegan foods that may, some may feel are not healthy but are 100% vegan. You may have a special way that you eat your plant-based diet, and that's good for you. But do you try to tell other people they need to eat that way? And if you do, I want you to ask yourself why. If it's working for you and it's your personal decision, what does that have to do with the person that you're talking to? And I will say right here, I don't know how many of you have heard of this, but when I confront people with that, they'll say, I'm doing it because if you're healthy, it's better for the animals because you're such an amazing activist. I call bullshit. <laughs> that means you got to feel really good about what you just said to me for the animals. Um, if you're a food activist, an online food influencer with a, a blog or an Instagram or Facebook, please write about the food that you actually eat. I know it's super trendy right now to write a recipe in the parentheses, no oil, no sugar, no salt, but better than air. <laughs> but if you're gonna go home and have pizza tonight, freaking tell people you had pizza tonight. Why are we setting this up? Your blog statistics are meaningless. Either the, the number of followers you have on Instagram, you do not need to build them by not telling the truth about what you eat. The health argument fails when we're targeting healthy meat eaters. Do you know how many people tried to tell my husband he needed to go vegan so he could be a better athlete? He was a great athlete. To lose weight, nah, he's always been less than me. Um, he was healthy. That argument did not work. And I have friends who have life-threatening illnesses right now who have lived ethical lives for years. We cannot make that guarantee, that health guarantee, when we simply don't know. Please, please, please watch your language. Can we all just stop using the term junk food vegan? That drives me mad. That is not a junk food vegan. That is a person that you just were speaking to and you just lumped a phrase on them and you judged them by their food, but it was easier to use that term than to tell them you judge them personally for the food that they are eating. I suggest that we create the space around us that we crave. So I'm gonna give you an example of the community that I've tried to create around me based on my food philosophy and my activism. I have many Facebook groups around different kinds of cooking methods. Many of you are, are, um, are, are members. And I created them as shame-free zones. 
I welcome people whether they use oil or don't use oil, whether they use salt or don't use salt. Only eat food right after they pulled it out of the garden or people who eat it out of a can. What I don't allow is for you to tell someone why they shouldn't do that. Tell us what you eat and if you didn't, don't eat it yourself, keep scrolling. We literally don't care what you're eating um, as long as it's not an animal. I intentionally do not teach blank free classes. I teach cooking classes. Many of you have taken classes with me. What you won't find is the no oil vegan cooking class, the no salt cooking class. I'm not dissing that way. I don't eat that way. I'm going to always be authentic with you. So my charge to you is, are you being authentic and are you creating that space around you? I write a uh, vegan dining review for the Colorado Springs Gazette. I've been writing it for four years and I never talk about oil or salt or sugar. It's just about the vegan. It's the vegan food. Because I don't want to confuse people who are reading this column and are not vegan. I want them to just know, don't eat the animals, and congratulations, you're being a great vegan. So those are my platforms, and that's how I share messages about body and food shaming. And I want you to think about your own platform. And by platform, I don't mean sitting up on a stage and having a conversation. Is your platform when you're at work? Is it your social network? It is, is it your online community? How are you creating a community of compassion for all? And are you encouraging people to stop pushing diets and health expectations on others because it makes you feel better? And most importantly, when you're about to say someone either to their face or online where it's very easy to be brave, are you asking yourself that the thing I'm about to say and type is the most compassionate thing and the kindest thing that I can say to that person that will help them and that will change the world for animals? And if the answer is no, maybe just don't say anything.